tall and thin, the king's wit wrote easily on a black gelding. He wore a stiff he black waved a coat hand, and black an elderly trousers. man with an extraordinarily long white beard appeared. He had blue eyes, but he wasn't really light. The man's hair was short and then slimed to his feet, angular, not though that didn't make him much taller. This, he however, was not a figure made of mist. It was a man with stark white hair, his face defined by angular features and a sharp nose. He seemed vaguely familiar to Kelsier, but he couldn't place why. Hey there, and welcome back to the World Hopper's Guide to the Cosmere. I'm your host, Arian, and this week we're going to be exploring one of the Cosmere's most mysterious and amazing figures, everyone's fan favorite, the ever-illustrious Hoyd. If you couldn't tell that from the very strange opening I decided to go with. Who is he? What does he want? And where might we see him show up next? This episode is going to contain some spoilers for most of the Cosmere, with Probably a little more Stormlight-specific stuff, and definitely Mistborn Secret History, so watch out for that. Let's get started. So, if you're looking for a fellow by the name of Romer, Dust, the King's Wit, the Imperial Fool, Topaz, Drifter, Lunuanaki, Saphandrius, Midius, ooh, I don't know, any sort of strange guy with a white hair or black hair or a sharp face or really anything, you have successfully discovered Hoyt. This mysterious figure has been kind of popping in and out of the various Cosmere stories since the very beginning, and is a central figure to the entire sort of background story that's playing out behind the scenes. He is a time-traveling, shape-shifting, joke-making machine who's been kicking it since the very beginning of the Cosmere's history, both in and out of world. Originally, after he showed up both in Elantris and the first Mistborn book, people kind of theorized that he was a mistake, a misprint, a, a accidental reuse of a name by Brandon, but little did we know how important he would be. Oh, well, kind of little do we know how important he'll be, we don't know a whole lot about him, but that's what we'll talk about. Uh, Brandon has always envisioned a background character that served as a through-line through the various fantasy books that he'd read as a kid and growing up, and decided to write such a character into his own works, connecting the Cosmere under one unified theory. Hoyt is Brandon's favorite character, which is not surprising because he's everyone else's favorite character for many reasons, but there's a lot Brandon can't say about why Hoyt is his favorite, so there's even more for us to love. We've seen him just about everywhere. He's either, either named or unnamed. He's Kelsier's informant in Mistborn the Final Empire. Uh, he shows up in Elantris as the beggar smuggler who helps Serene when she's giving food to Elantrians. He's a storyteller in the Warbreaker Court of Gods. Uh, he's the Imperial Fool in the Emperor's Soul, the Drifter in Secret History, and Vaxillium Ladrian's carriage driver in the Second Mistborn Era. Uh, we'll talk about these appearances more when we go into his timeline, but uh, this all said, most of his appearances have been teasers. Where we get the full Hoyd trailer is in his more prominent role in the Stormlight Archive. There, he's the king's wit for a short time, but he has dipped his toes in just about every part of the world. For example, he's the messenger who talks to Shallan in a flashback, a white-haired man who apparently at some point told Lyft, you can't be crass if you're talking about art, before jumping into a great shell. He's Sigzil's world singer master, the man who rock sees pop out of the horn eater peaks, and probably way more. We'll go more in-depth on his role in Stormlight uh, later, since that's kind of where the real meat of the matter lies, but there's still a lot to talk about even without delving into his backstory. Hoyd belongs to a class of individuals known as Worldhoppers, people capable of traveling between planets in the Cosmere for whatever ends they choose. I'm going to assume that anyone listening to this episode is fairly aware of this concept, since this is probably one for people who've sort of read the entire Cosmere anyway. But actually, now that I think about it, I mean, 
This whole show is kind of one case of preaching to the choir, so... Whatever. Anyway, conversation for another day. Uh, what exactly is he trying to do in all these appearances? The answer is we don't know. Uh, Hoyt seems to have the strange ability to show up at key points in the Cosmere's history and affect things in his own ways. With a lot of his earlier appearances in Mistborn, Elantris, and Warbreaker especially, he is barely a footnote. His appearance is little more than a reminder that he's still around. This isn't unusual for worldhoppers who tend to stick around near the important people and have their plotlines going on in secret. But we get a sense that he is collecting magic systems for some greater purpose. In Elantris, he tries and fails to become an Elantrian, while in Mistborn, he appears to be going after a beat of Larasium to get Mistborn powers. He reveals in the Stormlight Archive that he has perfect pitch and uses Awakening in Oathbringer so we can assume he stored up a fair amount of breath. Then he goes and bonds a cryptic to become a Radiant, a Lightweaver to boot, on top of all of his intrinsic ability to storytell with light and smoke. Uh, this power collection goes a lot farther, actually. See, Hoyd is special, even among Worldhoppers. He is the second oldest being we've seen so far in the Cosmere, and so he's been around since the beginning. Hoyd was present at the Shattering of Adenalsium. In fact, whatever happened, whenever that happened, Hoyd was there and, and refused to take up a shard for some unknown reasons. The very weapon used to shatter Adenalsium, uh, to some degree, some pieces of it, are somehow responsible for his immortality. In immortality, it should be noted that's different from other worldhoppers. While many worldhoppers have a means of compressing time, so they can pop up uh, hundreds of years later, uh, they don't experience the time that they decide to compress. They still age like normal people when they decide to do things. Hoyd, however, has an advanced healing factor along with his immortality, and the way he pops up at all of the relevant points in time is similar to Fair Chemical Fortune. He literally goes where he feels he needs to go, but still has to figure out precisely why he's there. And sometimes, there are cases where he goes to a place, hangs around for a little bit, and nothing happens, and he just leaves. Uh, those are obviously the stories we don't see, but they're kind of fun to imagine. But anyway, going back to the beginning... Hoyd's story is wrapped up somewhere in the Dragonsteel sequence, an unpublished series of works that would explore the shattering of Adenalsium, the decision of Hoyd and the 16 conspirators from three races, Human, Dragon, and Shodel, on the original planet of Yolin to shatter, effectively, God. Hoyd's story would be the focus of The Liar of Partnell and The Lightweaver of Wren, which would take place before or during the shattering, and then there would be five Dragonsteel books beyond that that would cover the Shattering and beyond. As of the 2018 State of the Sanderson, these ideas are definitely still kicking in Brandon's head, but Dragonsteel isn't on the docket for a very long time. We've learned from Writing Excuses, his podcast, that uh, Brandon tried to write Liar of Partnell at some point and it didn't work, but he's considering trying it, uh, redoing it in a first-person kind of retrospective style of Hoyd telling his own story, like Pat Rothfuss's Kingkiller Chronicles, which I think is absolutely fascinating and, and a very fun idea for something different. Those stories would show how Hoyd apparently took the name of his master and also explain his ability to manipulate sand and smoke, which is an ancient form of light weaving. In this series, we probably see many of the vessels who now hold shards. Tanavas, the now-dead holder of honor, once bought Hoyd a drink, while Raze, the vessel of odium, was once Hoyd's friend. Of course, all of this is shrouded in mystery, and we likely won't see much of it for decades, if at all. So we'll just talk about what we do know. Hoyd's actions following the Shattering are pretty unknown, but the Copper Mind has some excellent tracking of his various escapades as the timeline goes on. He's present on Taldane during White Sand, uh, though we don't know much about him there. 
His first big appearance, as I mentioned, uh, is during the restoration of Elantris. There, Hoyd makes an attempt to become an Elantrian somehow, but ultimately fails. But he takes this as a win, the idea that after thousands of years, there are still puzzles for him to figure out. Doing that, he hops into the shard pool and world hops away from Cell. Notably, this form of travel is known to be exceedingly dangerous for reasons outlined in the Shards and the Shattering episode. The cognitive realm of Cell is basically a raging storm of investiture, but Hoyt doesn't really seem to care. But he pops up on Cell a few years later, though, taking uh, the role of the Imperial Fool in the Rose Empire that we see in the Emperor's Soul. There, sort of before the events of the story happen, when Shai, the protagonist, tries to replace the Moon Scepter with her own forgery, Hoyd sells her out to take the real one himself. He's not altogether out to get her, though, as the deleted prologue that is not canon, but basically something similar definitely happened. It shows a conversation between Hoyd and Shai that uh, demonstrates that he knows she needs to be imprisoned for some reason, likely for the events of the story. He then leaves the planet again, presumably with the Moon Scepter, which notably has the ability to translate between the various Selish magic systems which means he's still got a stake in figuring them out. The, the magic systems of Cell all somehow have to do with form and shape, so they all act as code, sort of, that can be translated between one another. Next, he pops up in the first Mistborn trilogy. In the Final Empire, he's one of Doxin's contacts that Kelsier visits to get information about the Noble Houses. He ends up leaving the planet for a while before returning in Mistborn's secret history, running into Kelsier at the Well of Ascension and beating the crap out of him. It's here that we learn about Hoyt's inability to physically hurt people. He relishes the chance to basically just punch Kelsier's cognitive shadow, because something to do with his upbringing prevents him from doing it to physical people, including himself. Hoyt also uh, manages to pick up a bead of Larazium, which makes him a full Mistborn here. He uses the well to get back to Scadriel and visit the Terrace homeland, where he helps some of the refugees, and later for the Hero of Ages he is an informant again in Fadrex City. However, before Vin can meet him, Kelsier manages to subtly ward her off. From there, we skip ahead some hundreds of years, and in Warbreaker, we see that he somehow gets to Nalthus, and becomes a storyteller in the Court of Gods in Hollandrin. There, he uses his sand-based form of lightweaving to tell Queen Ciri about the history of Hollandrin, doing some important info-dumping while making all of us fanboys and girls squeal. There, we learn about his illusory magic. He says, I learned it many, many years ago from a man who did not know who he was. It was a distant place where two lands meet and gods have died. But that's all we get from him, unfortunately. Getting us to Roshar, though, is what tells us the most about Hoyd, because it's kind of where he has the largest role so far, and the most skin in the game. Hoyd has visited Roshar at some point in the distant past, thousands of years ago, and even danced with the ancient singers. We know this because he says as much when he recognizes one of the fused. But, as far as the current timeline, after arriving through Cultivation's perpendicularity in the Horneater Peaks, we meet Hoyd first as the King's Wit on the Shattered Plains, interacting with the Colon family for some unknown purpose. As Dalinar Colon starts to make his maneuvers in the way of kings, Hoyd tests him on his knowledge of Adenalsium, which Dalinar doesn't know about. At some point, Hoyd makes it clear to Dalinar that he's willing to help, but ultimately his goals go larger than Roshar. He says, and while I am your friend, please understand that our goals do not completely align. You must not trust yourself with me. If I have to watch this world crumble and burn to get what I need, I will do so. With tears, yes, but I would let it happen. 
Hoyt doesn't really see himself as the good guy. He's trying, as Brandon says, to make that which once was. But anyway, ultimately, we see more of him through the eyes of Kaladin and Shallan. He takes an interest in bolstering Kaladin at various low points, telling him the story of Fleet and the story of the Wandersail, and he provides a ton of moral support to Shallan throughout the series, which is a relationship we can explore more in depth later. The main places we see Hoyd's plan unfold come in the epilogues of each of the Stormlight books. At the very end of The Way of Kings, he shows up at the gates of Kolinar in time to see Talonal arrive, signaling the start of a new desolation. In Words of Radiance, he's waiting for Yasna Kolin to return to the physical realm, and provides her with pictures of the Heralds to identify them. Finally, in Oathbringer, he sneaks back into the occupied Kolinar to bond with the Cryptic that would have bonded Elhokar. Through all of this, we learn what he think is his true purpose on Roshar, the destruction of Odium, with whom he now shares a mutual hatred. And here's where we get to talk about the letters. Five letters in total are split among the epigraphs, with one in The Way of Kings, one in Words of Radiance, and a whopping three in Oathbringer. They detail Hoyd's requests to several entities, a dragon and three shards, to help his fight against Odium, as well as their responses. I will go ahead and read them out, because I haven't done enough quoting and reading out so far. So the first letter goes a little something like this. Old friend, I hope this missive finds you well. Though, as you are now essentially immortal, I would guess that wellness on your part is something of a given. I realize you are probably still angry. That is pleasant to know. Much as your perpetual health, I have come to rely upon your dissatisfaction with me. It is one of the Cosmere's great constants, I should think. Let me first assure you that the element is quite safe. I have found a good home for it. I protect its safety like I protect my own skin, you might say. You do not agree with my quest. I understand that so much as it is possible to understand someone with whom I disagree so completely. Might I be quite frank? Before, you asked why I was so concerned. It is for the following reason. Ati was once a kind and generous man, and you saw what became of him. Ray's, on the other hand, was among the most loathsome, crafty, and dangerous individuals I have ever met. He holds the most frightening and terrible of all the shards. Ponder on that for a time, you old reptile, and tell me if your insistence on non-intervention holds firm, because I assure you, Ray's will not be similarly inhibited. One need only look at the aftermath of his brief visit to Cell to see proof of what I say. In case you have turned a blind eye to that disaster, know that Aona and Skye are both dead, and that which they held has been splintered, presumably to prevent anyone from rising up to challenge Ray's. You have accused me of arrogance in my quest. You have accused me of perpetuating my grudge against Rays and Bavadin. Both accusations are true. Neither point makes the things I have written to you untrue. I am being chased. Your friends of the 17th Shard, I suspect. I believe they're still lost, following a false trail I left for them. They'll be happier that way. I doubt they have any inkling what to do with me should they actually catch me. If anything I have said makes a glimmer of sense to you, I trust that you'll call them off. Or, maybe you could astound me and ask them to do something productive for once. For I have never been dedicated to a more important purpose, and the very pillars of the sky will shake with the results of our war here. I ask again, support me. Do not stand aside and let disaster consume more lives. 
I've never begged you for something before, old friend. I do so now. So this letter, written by Hoyd, is probably the single longest piece of evidence we have of his direct intentions. He writes to Frost, a dragon who lives on Yolen, and one of the few beings older than Hoyd. We see in this letter a genuine plea for Frost to come help take down Rays, aka Odium, who Hoyd considers both frightening and terrible both as a man and a shard. We also learn from the letter that he's actively avoiding the 17th Shard, that he has a prior grudge against both Rays and Bavadin, who holds autonomy, and that he's piecing together Odium's plan to splinter the other Shards so he can be the only one. For once, we see true solemnity and almost desperation, as Hoyd genuinely wants to help save more lives. Notably, we also see that he has some sort of element that he keeps safe, possibly in himself, if his wordplay means anything. But uh, let's take a look at Frost's response, which we get in Words of Radiance. I'll address this letter to my old friend, as I have no idea what name you're currently using. Have you given up on the gemstone, now that it is dead? And do you no longer hide behind the name of your old master? I am told that in your current incarnation, you've taken a name that references what you presume to be one of your virtues. This is, I suspect... A little like a skunk, naming itself for its stench. Now, look what you've made me say. You've always been able to bring out the most extreme in me, old friend. And I do still name you a friend, for all that you weary me. Yes, I am disappointed. Perpetually, as you put it. Is not the destruction we have wrought enough? The world you now tread bear the touch and design of Adenalsium. Our interference, so far, has brought nothing but pain. My path has been chosen very deliberately. Yes, I agree with everything you have said about Rays, including the severe danger he presents. However, it seems to me that all things have been set up for a purpose, and if we, as infants, stumble through the workshop, we risk exacerbating, not preventing, a problem. Rays is captive. He cannot leave the system he now inhabits. His destructive potential is, therefore, inhibited. Whether this was Tanavast's design or not, millennia have passed without Ray's taking the life of another of the Sixteen. While I mourn for the great suffering Ray's has caused, I do not believe we could hope for a better outcome than this. He bears the weight of God's own divine hatred, separated from the virtues that gave it context. He is what we made him to be, old friend. And that is what he unfortunately, wished to become. I suspect that he is more a force than an individual now, despite your insistence to the contrary. That force is contained, and an equilibrium reached. You, however, have never been a force of equilibrium. You tow chaos behind you, like a corpse dragged by one leg through the snow. Please, hearken to my plea. Leave that place and join me in my oath of non-intervention. The Cosmere itself may depend upon our restraint. Frost's response, though it's negative, gives us a ton of Cosmere information to work with. For one, apparently Hoyt has been searching for a gemstone, which is now dead, and we learn once more that Hoyt took the name of his own master. We confirm that Roshar was designed by Adenalsium itself, and Frost's perspective indicates that he believes everybody, including himself, Hoyt, and the Shardholders, who are thousands of years old, are barely children in comparison to Adenalsium. He seems content to let Odium sit and ravage Roshar so long as he's contained. Hoyd, however, 
is a force of chaos, and he seems interested in taking down Raze so that he cannot even hurt the Rosharan system. Hoyt has sent other letters, though. Uh, here's the first response from Oathbringer. Dearest Sephandrius, I received your communication, of course. I noticed its arrival immediately, just as I noticed your many intrusions into my land. You think yourself so clever, but my eyes are not those of some petty noble to be clouded by a false nose and some dirt on the cheeks. You mustn't worry yourself about rays. It is a pity about Aeona and Skye, but they were foolish, violating our pact from the very beginning. Your skills are admirable, but you are merely a man. You had your chance to be more, and refused it. No good can come of two shards settling in one location. It was agreed that we would not interfere with one another, and it disappoints me that so few of the shards have kept to this original agreement. As for Uli Da, it was obvious from the outset that she was going to be a problem. Good riddance. Regardless, this is not of your concern. You turned your back on divinity. If Raze becomes an issue, he will be dealt with. And so will you. This letter, written by Endowment, the shard on Nalthus from Warbreaker, is an outright dismissal of Hoyt's call for aid. It uses the name Sephandrius, which is the name apparently closest to his true one, and here's where we learn that Hoyt is just a man. He could have picked up a shard, but decided not to. The second Oathbringer letter, meanwhile, is a little more cryptic and puzzling. It comes from autonomy, but we'll see what we can make of it. Sephandrius, bearer of the first gem. You must know better than to approach us by relying upon presumption of past relationship. You have spoken to one who cannot respond. We, instead, will take your communication to us, though we know not how you located us upon this world. We are indeed intrigued, for we thought it well hidden, insignificant among our many realms. As the waves of the sea must continue to surge, so must our will continue resolute. Alone. Did you expect anything else from us? We need not suffer the interference of another. Rays is contained, and we care not for his prison. Indeed, we admire his initiative. Perhaps, if you had approached the correct one of us with your plea, it would have found favorable audience. But we stand in the sea, pleased with our domains. Leave us alone. We also instruct that you should not return to Oberdai. We have claimed that world, and a new avatar of our being is beginning to manifest there. She is young yet, and as a precaution... She has been instilled with an intense and overpowering dislike of you. This is all we will say at this time. If you wish more, seek these waters in person and overcome the tests we have created. Only in this will you earn our respect. So there's a lot of interesting stuff here about autonomy, but relevant to Hoyd, we see that he's been desperate enough to go to Bavadin, also known as autonomy, the very shard he claims to have a grudge against in order to fight Odium. It also refers to him as Sephandrius, which just seems to be the name that most of the shard holders use for him. It mentions the first gem, whatever that means, possibly the gemstone that Frost talks about, or the element that Hoyd talks about. Uh, we're not entirely sure. It also establishes that he has gone at some point to the world of Oberdai, which I don't know what that is, but is interesting. And it also sets up a test for Hoyd, a future quest for him to go to wherever autonomy is and basically earn their respect. The third and final Oathbringer letter comes from everybody's favorite mm, good guy shard. Spoilers for a Mistborn Era 1, but this one comes from Sezed, the current holder of Harmony. Friend, your letter is most intriguing, even revelatory. 
I would have thought, before attaining my current station, that a deity could not be surprised. Obviously, that is not true. I can be surprised. I can perhaps even be naive, I think. I am the least equipped of all to aid you in this endeavor. I am finding that the powers I hold are in such conflict that the most simple of actions can be difficult. I am also made uncertain by your subterfuge. Why have you not made yourself known to me before this? How is it that you can hide? Who are you truly, and how do you know so much about Adenalsium? If you would speak to me further, I request open honesty. Return to my lands, approach my servants, and I will see what I can do for your quest. With this one, we can kind of see what Seizet has been up to this whole time. We get from the context that part of Hoy's letter must have been talking a little bit about Adenalsium, and most relevantly, we see that Seizet has invited Hoy to his lands. This might lead us directly to Hoy's next appearance, because the Wax and Wayne series happens after the fifth Stormlight book. So in Mistborn Era 2, maybe a decade after Stormlight 5, Hoyd returns to Scadriel and hangs out. He pops up in Elendel first, initially at the wedding of Lord Yeoman and Lady Ostlin, according to Brandon, purely because he wanted to congratulate them and they are his friends. But in order to be friends with those people, he would have had to be on Scadriel at some point within sort of the previous generation, so maybe he spoke to Sayzed then, we're not totally sure. From there, though, he spends some time as Wax's coachman, and later pops up as a beggar in New Saran, where he tosses Wax a coin. This coin, it turns out, is a copper mine that holds memories of the identity of the Sovereign, none other than Kelsier, Hoyd's old nemesis. It's likely, then, that at some point he interacted with Harmony after receiving his letter, and maybe Harmony gave him the metal mine, we're not totally sure. But, uh, yeah, that's all we really know about his current timeline. Once more, that's a lot to take in, and I hope this is some interesting stuff, but, of course, we're not done, because the beauty of Hoyd is that he is really so much more than a timeline and a bunch of cameos. Hoyd is, above all else, a character of immense complexity. Having lived thousands of years, he's seen empires rise and fall. It would be too much to go into all of his brilliant quotes in the Cosmere, but he balances a wisdom and silliness in equal measure, and that balance can best be seen in his interactions with the characters in Stormlight. Kaladin, to a degree, who he tries to shape with his stories, but most importantly, Shallan. Hoyd's relationship with Shallan not only provides us with powerful story and some wonderful philosophy, but does some really important work in showing us a glimmer of vulnerability in the character we all kind of assume is infallible. They meet first when he's acting as a messenger in Shallan's flashback, when, in the midst of her broken family, he tells her to keep seeking the light. She later hugs him and surprises him when she sees him in the war camps but it's their chapters in Kolinar where we truly see the best of them. Okay, I lied. I'm going to do one more quote. Uh, one of them from the Kolinar sequence goes like this. Some men, as they age, grow kinder. I am not one of those, for I have seen how the Cosmere can mistreat the innocent, and that leaves me disinclined towards kindness. Some men, as they age, grow wiser. I am not one of those, for wisdom and I have always been at cross-purposes, and I have yet to learn the tongue in which she speaks. Some men, as they age, grow more cynical. I, fortunately, am not one of those. If I were, the very air would warp around me, sucking in all emotion, leaving only scorn. He tapped the table. Other men... Other men, as they age, merely grow stranger. I fear that I am one of those. I am the bones of a foreign species, left drying on the plain that was once, long ago, a sea. A curiosity, perhaps a reminder that all has not always been as it is now. You're old, aren't you? Not a herald, but as old as they are? 
He slid his boots off the chair and leaned forward, holding her eyes. He smiled in a kindly way. Child, when they were but babes, I had already lived dozens of lifetimes. Old is a word you use for worn shoes. I'm something else entirely. She trembled, looking into those blue eyes. Shadows played within them. Shapes moved and were worn down by time. Boulders became dust. Mountains became hills. Rivers changed course. Seas became deserts. When I was young, he said, I made a vow. I said I'd always be there when I was needed. And have you been? Yes. Ooh, what a great quote. I, I, I just love the, the, the sense that we, that we get of, of him here, that he does want to be there for people and, and never stops after thousands of years. Unlike Fused or Harold, who find themselves quote-unquote mad, Hoyd manages to maintain his vow thousands and thousands of years later. Moving on from that, though, when, when Shallan later breaks down after finding out that her gifts of food have led people to be terrorized, he's the one to take her out and tell her the story of the girl who looked up, to bring her back and tell her that she needs to accept the pain, but not that she deserves it. He bends her illusions to show her what she can truly be, and ultimately is the tipping point in her eventual control at the Battle of Thalen Field. Their relationship isn't built on destiny or Hoyd's goals, Hoyd merely sees someone else like him, a young lightweaver who puts on faces, and feels the need to become a part of her life. Anyway, to wrap things up, it's amazing that we know so much about Hoyd without really having any details on what he wants. Ultimately, he doesn't think he's the good guy, and that may well be true, but his interactions with Shallan and his fervent desire to protect innocent life tell me otherwise. I don't think he's trying to reforge Adenalsium, as people say, but I do think he's going to end up being on the side of right when the cards come down uh, in the Cosmere Climax. Most likely, we'll get a lot more of him in the Dragonsteel sequence and the eventual Cosmere Capstone in Mistborn Era 4, but that is decades away. For now, we'll just enjoy the journey, grow up with him, and get a little stranger. Thanks, as always, for listening to this episode of the World Hopper's Guide. If you like what you hear, feel free to subscribe, tell your friends about us, and drop a review on iTunes or your medium of choice. Uh, you can shoot us an email for ideas or, uh, or criticism at worldhoppersguide at gmail.com, which I promise to get better at looking at. Uh, as always, thanks to the Copper Mine for the gold mine of information, and uh, Kevin McLeod for the intro music, and thanks to you for listening.